0: We'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. We are in uh, week three of a four-week series that we've entitled Clear Faith in a Blurry World. And we have been understanding and, and seeing through God's Word that Jude has a word for us in the uh, year 2023. And it's a word that I think is aptly uh, needed uh, because of the many voices that have crept in unnoticed in our world and even in the life of the Christian and the life of the church. We have recognized from Jude's words in these first two weeks of the series that voices and people had crept in unnoticed and as a result of that had caused people to start believing that they were God and they believed that because they were God all manner of sensuality and pursuit of passion and pleasures was available to them. And the church... And the Christians were buying into this. They were believing the world's lies. They were believing what these influencers were communicating and teaching. And as a result, Jude writes this one page letter to people that he loves, reminding them to contend for the faith. To contend. That word contend is only used twice in the Bible, both in this letter of Jude. And this word literally means to fight to agonize and fight, to fight with all of your heart, soul, and mind, to fight passionately and powerfully to achieve what you're fighting for. In fact, this word begins to conjure up in us the idea that we should be fighting, and rightly so. But many of us, when we hear this word fight, we begin to think about taking the fight to the world to the fight to our neighbors and friends, to the fight to social media pages, to fight in a way that is more external. But this morning we're going to learn that this agonizing fight is an internal fight. It's a fight that begins inside of every one of us. You see, there's a lot of people that think the way that we will fix the world is by fighting against the world, and that's not the case at all. In fact, the fight that we should be having is about being better Christians, stronger Christians, faithful Christians, Christians who see far more clearly than the blurry world wants us to, to see clearly based on the truths of God's Word, to put the lenses of God's Word on our faces each and every day to discern the difference between the lies and the truth. And we've learned in these last week that the lies are prevalent. Whether it's in our movies or in our music, whether it's in our social media pages or the podcasts that we listen to, we are inundated with voices that speak all types of lies to us. Little by little, phrase by phrase, moment by moment, they're telling us to move farther away from God and closer to the greater person being us. To make us happy to find us pleasure, to give us the the place in life that we are looking for, and Jude is gonna say to us today, I want you to fight that, and while he's used the first two sermons of this series to remind us that who these people are and what these voices are all about, he's now gonna pivot to saying here's how we fight, here's how we make ourselves the type of Christians that God wants us to be, And these are the things we need to lean into. And so this morning in verses 17 through 23, we are going to see what it means to contend for the faith. To contend for the faith that was delivered once and for all to the saints. To do so, we're going to look at verses 17 through 23 this morning, and I ask you to follow along with me as we do. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What Jude wants us to do in this passage is to get a new perspective. What I want to call today having a clear faith, a clear faith in that blurry world to change our lenses, to change our perspective. To do so, we have to have three different looks this morning. We need to be looking in three different directions this morning. First of all, Jude says, I want us to be looking back. I want us to be looking back. If we're going to see clearly, if we're going to live faithfully, we got to follow God's guidance in this confused world, and it begins by looking back. He says this to the church, but you must remember, not should, not should, not might but you must remember beloved the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ they said to you in the last time there would be scoffers following their own ungodly passions it is those who cause divisions worldly people devoid of the spirit what Jude wants us to know right away is we've got to look back and we've got to remember something Now, he has told us a couple times we need to remember. In fact, earlier in the letter, he tells us that he's reminding us, although we should have fully known it. And so there's this idea that we should know things that we don't because we don't bring them to remembrance. We don't make them a priority to remember them so that we will be suited or well-equipped for the process and the life that we are living. And so he says to us I want you to remember something Now I want you to notice a couple things About what he says He says I want you to remember the predictions Or the prophecies of the apostles Now right away some of you are like "All right, we're going to talk end times We're going to get times and dates I'm going to get my pen ready Let's get the charts out What happens first The rapture, tribulation, millennial kingdom Let's go Some of you are totally confused about what I'm saying right now But if you've been around the church, the idea of end times and what's going to happen in the future is an important thing. But I want you to notice times and dates aren't the issue, but the details of the days, the kind of days, the kind of people that are going to be involved. If your end times is all about trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back, you're missing the point. What Jesus wants us to know, what Jude is wanting to communicate here is the type of world we're going to live in, where there are going to be scoffers, where there are going to be people devoid of the Spirit, where there are going to be people that follow their ungodly passions. And so if you want to know, am I living in in times, just ask, am I around people that sound like that? Am I around people that are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, that are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage in verse 16? Is that the type of world we're living in? The resounding answer is yes. We are living in last days. And the apostles predicted this. The apostles prophesied about this. And what we have is a full-throated endorsement in our passage here in verse 17 that we need to be people of the Word. People, you, notice that you, it's emphatic. You, every one of us is to be an individual who remembers the Word of God, who brings it back, who rehearses it over and over again. And here's why, because it is through the Word of God, it is through the Word of the Apostles, that first of all write this down we are cared for we know that we are cared for twice here in this passage four times in this letter judah is going to remind us that god loves us and we need to be reminded of that and here's the why to that question why do we need to know that God loves us because if we don't understand God's love for us how deep and profound God's love for us as his people are then we will fall to every lie of the devil because what we will see is temptations and temptations listen to me church temptations are there and they are tempting us to believe that God doesn't have his best for us That he doesn't love us, that he's trying to limit us, that he's trying to keep us from a place of joy and satisfaction, and if the devil can get us to think that he doesn't love us, that's the first step for us loving ourselves. But if I understand and know that the God of the universe loves me and has loved me since before the foundations of the world and loved me even in my sin to demonstrate that love for me while I was a sinner, Christ died for me and that I am now kept in the love and mercy of God, then what can the world tempt me with? It is when our love and our knowledge of God's love for us grows cold that we become susceptible to sin. It is the very thing that in the Garden of Eden the devil said, did God really say? Could it be that Adam and Eve, God doesn't love you the same uh, way you think he does? Could it be that God not loving you is trying to keep things that are good for you away from you? You see, when we don't understand that God loves us and he cares for us and he's there for us, we will become more and more susceptible to temptation and sin. So this book is to remind us over and over again, this is God's love letter to us. It is to remind us of, of the great affection God has for us. Twice here we are called beloved. We are loved. Beloved, a, a two-part word that says you are being loved. Wherever you're at right now, Christian, you are being loved. It is what Jude says when he says that we are beloved in God the Father and as a result of that, mercy, peace, and love are being multiplied to you exponentially. God longs to lavish his love on you. He did so in sending Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift of heaven. He did that for us. He did that so that he might show his um, unsurpassing love for us. And the more that we fall into understanding of God's love for us, the things of this world will grow all the more strangely dim, as the songwriter says. So we need to look into that God's eyes. We need to see his love. And we need to recognize, if God loves me, then his plans and, yes, even his parameters are good and right. There's a second reason why we need to remember and, and bring to reminder uh, the prescriptions and predictions and prophecies of the apostles. That is so that we will not be caught off guard. That we won't be caught off guard. So the people of Jude's day are listening to this and they're saying in verse 16, there's grumblers, malcontents. They're following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth boasters. They're showing favoritism. And then they gotta be freaked out because it says they've crept in unnoticed, unaware. And then there are these people that are gonna follow their own ungodly passions. They're gonna scoff at Christians. They're gonna cause divisions. They're gonna be worldly people, devoid of the spirit. And notice what he's done. He has given reminders from the Old Testament of stories of what happened to those types of people and now he says, be reminded of what the apostles said. Why? So that when you run into this stuff, you're not caught off guard and by being caught off guard, it doesn't freak you out. I can't tell you how many people here at the church have come freaked out about the world. Freaked out, where's the world coming to? What's gonna happen to us? Is it gonna get worse? Is it, what am I gonna do when I lose my job? What am I gonna do when I gotta move my kids here and there? What about this, what about that? Brothers and sisters, remember the predictions of the apostles. These days were gonna come, and they were predicted to come so that we don't have to freak out. I don't know a better way to illustrate it than this. From time to time, and it shows you the sad state that our Chicago sports are in, I will go to YouTube and I will watch game seven of the Cubs World Series win. And it's quite amazing that as I watch it now, it's very different than how I watched it Live. I got to be honest with you, I did not enjoy the Cubs World Series Championship run. I was exhausted by the time it was done. I had wanted something for so long and it was happening, and why? Because my emotions were spent, and I remember that Game 7, everything looked so great, and then everything fell apart, and I remember the first time that I ever gave up faith in the Cubs was when that guy hit his home run. And I said, I'm done. I'm so done. I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of the opponent winning all the time. And I began to write off my love and affection for a team I had grown up with. But here's what I didn't know in that moment. There were still innings to play. There was still time on the clock. The last out hadn't been recorded. And what I would know would happen is that even in nine innings, it wouldn't be determined. But in the end, the Cubs would win. So now I watch the game. Because it's been prophesied over to me. I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. And now I sit there with a Coke in my hand and some chips in my lap. And I eat. And the guy hits a home run. I say, hit it as far as you want. Hit it to the moon, Raji Davis. I don't care. Cleveland fans cheer. Remember LeBron James, he had him on the skybox and he's clapping, he's doing all this. Was, LeBron, you celebrate all you want because I know it's already won. The game is over. Brothers and sisters, that's a poor illustration to what we have. We have the book. The book just told us in Jude that Jesus is coming with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. He's coming back. We've won the war. The victory is ours. So you don't have to freak out. You don't have to worry. God says, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I will not leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in him. And we got to stop worrying. We got to stop fretting. Oh, look at what the devil's doing here, or look at what our country's doing there. Let the world go up in tumult. Let the mountains quake and roar. Let nations rise up against nations. Here's all we need to know that Jesus Christ says, I'm coming back and I will take care of you until then. And the reason why the scriptures are written is to keep us from being caught off guard. And that stop freaking out And so let's rehearse some of these Scriptures that we have this morning Some prophecies of the Apostles let's look at them uh, a couple Of them on the screen first of all We have help me out here We have Acts 20 29 and 30 I know that after my departure fierce Wolves will come in among you not sparing The flock and from among Your own selves will rise A man speaking twisted Things Do we have people speaking twisted Things today you bet are they within the church? You bet. And he says, you're going to recognize them by their fruits. So be ready for it. Don't be surprised by it. The next scripture. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You think Jesus was telling the truth? The answer is yes. How about the next one? Second Peter. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets and teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Are there destructive heresies in our world today? Yes. They're on places called Snapchat and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. They're on your media and in your movies and your TV shows. They're there. You're telling me people are going to go back. You're going to tell me people are denying uh, the master who bought them? Yeah. There's going to be people who follow their own sensuality that are going to, they're going to blaspheme the truth. Well, that's what we're seeing, Jude. And Jude says, remember, Peter told us this, that in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Notice what he says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. God's aware of it. Finally, we see in 2 Timothy, But understand this, that in the last days there will become times of great difficulty. Are times difficult right now? You bet. Well, Paul told Timothy by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, plan on it. That there will be a season in time where people will be lovers of self. Do we have lovers of self today? Yeah. Lovers of money? Yeah. Proud? Yes. Arrogant? Yes. Abusive? Yes. Disobedient to parents? Yes. Ungrateful? Even the week of Thanksgiving? You bet. Unholy, heartless, unappeasable Slanderous, without self-control Brutal, not loving good But treacherous, reckless Swollen with conceit Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God Having the appearance of godliness But denying its power Is that our world today? The answer is a resounding yes So we don't have to be surprised We don't have to be caught off guard god's word is there to tell us we're cared for to keep us from being caught off guard and third to cause us to not be a casualty to make sure you're not a casualty these things were written this book was written so you wouldn't shipwreck your faith so you wouldn't believe the lies but it begs the question this morning how much are you in this word emphatic you not your kids not your wife not your husband not the person sitting down the aisle from you you how much are you in this book we say but that's why i go to this church tim you preach it well that's great but there's no way i can preach a powerful enough of a sermon in one hour to take care of the rest of the 167 of your week And far too many of us, if you would do it, and I had people that, God bless them, they were honest, that would tell me that they went to their phones and looked at the amount of time they involved themselves of the voices of this world. And he said it was in the tens of hours. Your phone will tell you that. How much time are you sitting in front of the TV listening to the voices of this world? You don't want to be a casualty? Then devote yourself to this book. The early church saw miracles, they saw people saved, why? Because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Day after day they gathered together, why? To talk about this book, to fellowship around this book, to rejoice in this book. You wanna not be caught off guard by the voices of this world, you not wanna be a casualty from the voices of this world? Then listen to the voice of truth. We gotta look back. And God has written a book, a love letter to us, and it's a love letter to remind you that you are loved by God and that he has seen all this stuff coming from a mile away and he has written it so that we will not fall prey to it. We gotta look back. Notice we gotta look up. We gotta look up. If we wanna see clearly, it involves looking up. He goes on to verse 20. And he says, but you, again, that's an emphatic you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Let's stop there. He says, the way to not falling prey to the voices of the world around us is to build, to be actively building. The idea here, most best rendered is building house. It's a, it's a compound word in the Greek that literally is a compound of the word building and house. The idea here is that you're not building something theoretical, you're building a structure. Something you can see Something you can grab a hold of Your faith is not a theoretical thing It is a real thing It is something that is seen by you And felt by you It is seen by others And it is seen by God You are to be building this It's a continual building It's done in the present tense Which tells us that this is an ongoing building That you don't reach a certain age And you stop building your faith there are some, listen to me, retired folks That are downsizing not only their house But their faith Well the kids are gone So we don't need to be as involved in church as we used to We don't need to be involved in the people of God And so we're going to downsize our faith We're going to downsize the footprint of our faith And what Judas saying is No, you build it up Every day you're building Every day you're growing this thing I like what the Amplified Bible says. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith that is continually progressing, rising like an edifice, higher and higher. The goal of the Christian should be to involve himself or herself with the voices that makes building your faith more productive. Sadly, we read the word And we put bricks upon bricks only then to go to the world and through our movie watching or through our music or through what we're listening to or who we're following to take bricks away. Or to take a hammer and destroy the bricks. The bricks are there. The foundation, the house is there for our protection. It is there for our well-being. And so what the writer says here as he says, I want you to build brick by brick. It gives me the idea of the child's toy, Legos. My boys all got involved with Legos, they enjoyed putting things together, and I'm very thankful for the makers of Legos. And here's why, because the Lego company gave you two things you needed to be successful. They would give you a box of Legos, And they would give you a picture of what the said Legos were going to build. But what was always in the box was a piece of paper that step-by-step walked through. Okay, step one, you put this Lego together with this one. Step two, you put this together with that. And little by little, moment by moment, step-by-step, clarity was brought to what you were building. Oh, now I see what they're doing. Now it's making sense. Brothers and sisters, your faith is a bunch of Legos that God has poured out. The treasures of your salvation have been poured out from heaven onto us. And so we've got in front of us our faith. It's a table of Legos. And what God did through this book was he gave you a step-by-step process to building the most beautiful heavenly faith known to man. A faith that would make you salt and light in the world. A faith that would cause you to shine like stars in a dark and depraved world. A faith that would cause people to stop and take stock. What makes you different than me? What makes your life so different than mine? What gives you the hope, the joy, and the peace that passes all understanding? I want to know that. That's the kind of faith God wants you to be building. And so what he's done is he's given you the material and he's given you the instruction manual and the question is, will you follow it? Now, here's what you can do. And my children did it from time to time. I'm going to try to build it on my own. And we would have the most warped houses, the oddest looking cars, and always, by the way, we had pieces left over, right? When you try to build this faith on your own, you will build something warped. You will build something odd. It might look kind of like it, but it won't look like the box. So what did what did God do? God sent his word, the written word, but God sent the living word jesus christ and he said this is the kind of faith i want you to build this is the kind of life i want you to be building so the process of sanctification the process that you're in right now as a christian is building a life that looks like jesus god sent the box and the box was jesus in human flesh and jesus said follow me And our life, our building is the perpetual and ongoing and daily pursuit of Jesus. And brick by brick, day by day, we start looking a little bit more like Jesus. So let me ask this question and then I'll move on. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did six months ago? Again, I want you to be serious about this. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then as you are building your faith, six months ago, there should have been pieces. You should have only been on page 35 of the instruction manual, and now you're on page 62. And now, more than ever, the picture on the box is all the more clear than it was before. Are you growing? Are you building in it? Well, how do you do it? Notice he tells us a couple of things. One, we pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray in the Holy Spirit. And this is really simple. We don't have to make this. There's a lot of debate. What does Jude mean? Does it mean we've got to pray in some angelic tongue? Do we have to pray some very specific thing? He doesn't say anything about that. He simply says we need to pray. And I want you to know, when I see the word pray in the Bible, what it always means to me is that what God is requiring of you is beyond your grasp. Therefore, you need to lean into the Holy Spirit. You need to be communicating with the Holy Spirit. You cannot build your faith on your own. You need someone to come alongside of you. You need a helper. Ding, 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 ding. You need the Holy Spirit, who is called the paraclete, a helper, one who comes alongside of you. And prayer means daily I'm waking up and I'm asking the Lord... In a very simple way, it doesn't have to be some profound uh, theological jackpot prayer. Lord, I can't do this without you. I cannot build this faith. I cannot be like you. And you've said you've sent the Holy Spirit to help me. So let the Holy Spirit fill me. I invite the Holy Spirit to fill me today. And I'm going to live out the fruit of his spirit. I'm going to go after spiritual things and not worldly things. And I'm asking that that spirit would enable me and empower me for victory, not defeat. And so I can't build my faith without... The Holy Spirit. So invite the Holy Spirit every day and in all places of life. At school, be in prayer. At work, be in prayer. At home, be at prayer. In your marriage, be at prayer. With your neighbors, be at prayer. When you're on vacation, be praying. Why? Because I am at all times to be building this faith and I can't do it apart from him. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6. I can't do it without him, and so I pray. Then I keep myself in God's love. I keep myself in God's love. This word keep is one of Jude's favorite words. He's gonna use it uh, four different times. He uses it first of all, and he tells us in verse one that we are kept for Jesus Christ. Then he tells us later that the demons are kept in gloomy dungeons and in chains. And now he's telling us that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. So what does that word keep mean? What are we to do with the love of God? If we look at that word keep, it literally means to stay in the boundaries or to keep in the boundaries. To stay in your lane. The angels that it says, uh, that are kept in gloomy dungeons and, and, and chains, it says that they left... They left their proper position. They left their proper dwelling. Two times in verse six it tells us that. That is not keeping. When you start leaving the proper parameters that God's word has declared, you're not keeping yourself in God's love. So here's what the world says. The boundaries that God has created... Forget them. So, the boundaries God's created us with, male and female, forget them. Gender is a spectrum. The proper boundaries of sexuality. Now you can do what you want with whomever you want, when you want, how you want. Why? The boundaries are gone. The world tells us you don't have to keep your lane. You don't have to keep your position. You don't have to stay in your lane anymore. You do what you want. Why? Because you're God. You're God. And God chooses the parameters. And so if you're God, you can do what you want. And that's what these people did. They turned the grace of God, all of his goodness and love and kindness to us as his creation. We turned it around. He said, we'll do what we want, when we want, how we want So, God wrote a book, and in it, He told us how to live. In it, He told us how to love. In it, He told us how to go about our lives and to stay in our lane. And the devil has said since the beginning the reason why God created these rules is because He wants to keep us from fun. And that's a lie. And you're being tempted by that lie each and every day. God is keeping you from your best life. That's a lie, and it's going to lead people to destruction. God has given us this book because he loves us. God has given us these parameters because he knows what's best for us. God knows in the end, if you want to build the thing that's on the box, you've got to follow the directions. And the devil, since the beginning, has counterfeited everything God has created. We need to keep ourselves in God's love. The idea here is we're rowing in the same direction. We're rowing with our Heavenly Father. We're rowing with Him, wanting to go in the right direction. But you ask, but Tim, what happens if we don't row in the same direction all the time? Because I read in verse 16, that, in verse 15, that Jesus is going to come and execute Judgment on all their deeds and all their ungodliness and all their ungodly ways and all ungodly sinners and you're like, that's who I am. No. You're a child of God who is called by God, beloved by God and kept by Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes back, you know what's going to be there for us? Mercy. Mercy. And so knowing that he's got us, Knowing that He's able to sustain us, knowing He's able to save us, then we can know without a shadow of a doubt we can keep ourselves in God's love as we wait, notice, for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What is left for the unbeliever? Judgment. An executed judgment, a conviction of all of their deeds. God is going to come and He's going to address them. But when He comes, child of God, He is going to bring you mercy and eternal life. And so, what are we to do? Then we're to look around. We're to look around. In verse twenty-two and twenty-three, we are told we can't just focus in on ourselves. That we need to now, as we wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He'll bring in His second coming. We are to show mercy and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Let me close with this. A life that is building itself in the most holy faith is a faith that looks out for the faith of others. And so there are three people we need to be on the lookout for. Write these down to those who doubt. To those who doubt. To those who are in danger, to those who are in danger, and to those who are defiled. To maybe put it this way, we are to look around for the ignorant, the intrigued, and the invested. So let's talk about this really quick. Those who doubt, some of you are new to the faith. And you're starting to say no to the things of this world and starting to buy into this, but the world's coming back. Your old friends and your old family are teaching you and saying, hey, this is bunk. This is old stuff. Don't follow this. And we need to be merciful to you. And there are going to be times, young Christian, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to choose wrongly. And we need to show mercy to you. We need to show mercy to the younger in our midst. Is it any surprise that that this advent of technology, that the ones that would be most readily involved and most deeply impacted would be the youngest among us? Social media has had its greatest effect on the youngest of our generations. And so as a church, the older men and older women need to be careful and kind and merciful to those who doubt to those who are struggling, who are asking questions. We need to be merciful to them. How about those in danger? Maybe they're intrigued. The text tells us we need to be merciful to those saving others by snatching them out of the fire. Maybe right now a better word instead of danger is you're dabbling. You're dabbling. You're here today but tonight you're gonna watch some ungodly thing while you're streaming. You know, you know what you're looking at is wrong. You know what you're listening to is wrong, but it feels so right. It piques your interest and you're dabbling with it. Well, I'll just look at it now and then I'll ask for forgiveness later. I'll just do this now in private. Nobody will ever know. You're intrigued by it. And what Jude says is you're in danger and that the church's job is to snatch you from the fire. So brother and sister, ask for help before it's too late. Because it says the next thing is that you'll be defiled. That you'll be stained by the flesh. The idea here is an indelible mark. I recently was involved with a church leader outside of our church who dabbled with sin and it has left now an indelible mark on his life. He lost his ministry. His marriage is under crisis. No doubt his kids are wondering if he really believed all that he said. His church is teetering on whether it will stay open or not. We're to rescue these people and have mercy on these people. And the Bible says, but be careful that you use yourself, don't fall to it. And in my interaction, in that situation, I was struck with great fear of how God works. Sins that that guy no doubt thought were just his own, that nobody would ever know They were found out in the most incredible ways. Supernatural, I might add, ways. That one time while this was all going on, I said to Amanda, I said, I stand in fear of God. Because he could only have orchestrated what went down and how it was all found out. And I said to myself, be careful, Tim you could go there as well and so as we fight for the faith of others be careful that we are first and foremost building the faith of others let me close with this and then i'm done in the place of an emergency in an airplane we are reminded of the words of the stewards and the stewardesses right oxygen masks will come down right And what do they tell you, especially if you've got someone young next to you? Put on your mask first. Church, build your faith. Build it and build it so that your faith is so strong, parents, you can build the faith of your children. Grandparents so that you can build the faith of your grandchildren. Pastors so that you can build the faith of your church. Small group leaders for the faith of your uh, small group. Youth leaders for the faith of your uh, youth kids. Sunday school teachers for the faith of your uh, kids in your Sunday school class. So on and so forth. We build the faith so that we not only stand presentable before God, but we build the faith so that others might remain pure